0: we will praise K. bringing hope to many around the globe Transforming lives into legacies. Living Word with Pastor Mensah Otterbill. And now, today's Word. So we go to the series we are working with, Launch Out. And this is part three of the series, Launch Out, and uh, our subtitle is At Your Word. At Your Word. And we're looking at an encounter between Jesus and the Apostle Peter and, and how Jesus led him to do something out of the ordinary and, and, and how he launched out and set out to do something great. I believe for each one of us, there is something that we have to launch out into. And the story between Jesus and Peter teaches us how we can also launch out into the things that God has for us. So we go back to our text in Luke chapter 5. And I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse number 5. Of course, my focus is going to be verse number 5. But we'll read the context from verse 1 and land at verse number 5. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And I'm focusing on verse 5 for this session of the series. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have told all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. In order to launch out and do anything of significance, we must determine to go beyond what we normally do do comfortably. Something must drive us to launch out. Because in a year such as this, uh, where we have all come from uh, COVID and, and all its implications for the world, for countries, for businesses, for individuals, for families, sometimes it's difficult for you to imagine yourself doing something bold when people are cutting back you feel like you should also cut back. You should hold back. Uh, this is not a time to adventure or venture to do something great. And that was the situation that Peter was in. And Jesus came to him and told him, Well, Peter, it's, it's a bad season of your life, but launch out anyhow. It's a bad experience in your life, but launch out into the deep. And Peter had a conversation with Jesus Christ. Now, to properly situate the conversation, the short conversation between Jesus and Peter, uh, Jesus told Peter in verse 4, launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5, Peter is responding to uh, Jesus Christ. In order to fully understand Peter's response, I want you to look at how he addressed jesus christ he called him master master everybody say master it's a very very important word that uh, he used to describe jesus christ master that title uh, is used to describe one of higher rank with power to supervise or instruct a group it's usually a word that is used by apprentices To address their bosses. Very similar to how uh, we use it in Ghana when you go to uh, maybe uh, a fitting shop uh, and there are people learning from uh, somebody, they call the person they are learning from master. And that is the same way that Peter is using this word master. In the Greek word, it is a vocative word. That means it is used for people in vocational training. So Peter addresses Jesus Christ as master. And this word is very unique uh, with the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and when you read the Gospel of Luke, you would notice that uh, usually unbelievers or outsiders will refer to Jesus Christ as teacher but his disciples will refer to him as master so he uses those two words to distinguish who is a disciple and who is an inquirer the outsiders saw jesus as a teacher and the insiders saw him as master and that's the word that peter used master and that defines the rest of the conversation, master. But the important thing also I want you to note at this point is that Peter has not been called to follow Jesus. He knows Jesus Christ, but as yet he has not been called to follow Jesus. If you know the story well, it ends in Jesus calling him to follow. But at this time he's not been called, but he still calls Jesus Master. So between Jesus and Peter, a relationship has been established. That one is the master, the other is under the master. And that is the basis on which they have the conversation. If you don't have this context, then you will not be able to understand the the statement of Peter. He starts by saying, Master. And for each one of us, Until we start at this point that Jesus is the master, even our understanding of him and conversation with him will be flawed. Peter said, master. And after he said master, he started talking. And uh, Peter expressed himself in two main ways. First, as a fisherman. And second, as a man of faith. Uh, and, and, and his, his, his expression as a fisherman, uh, is, is very different from his expression as a man of faith. And we'll look at those two expressions, uh, in what Peter said. So first, let's look at his expression as a fisherman. And he expresses himself as a fisherman by complaining, complaining. And so he started by complaining in, you know, uh, when I read the bible I get tickled many times because it's it's almost like Jesus talking to a Ghanaian you know and saying hey John or Michael or Mary or Akos do something great launch out into the deep I want you to do this and I want you to do that and then we start talking just the fisherman's point of view of Peter sir you have no idea what is happening in this country? Do you know that domestic debt has been haircutted? Do you know what is going on? Do you know this and do you know that? so so that is the expression of a fisherman. he's talking about his trade and his trade has just suffered a devastation. And Peter is talking from that point of view. And many times when we are talking to God, we talk from a fisherman's point of view. The normal person's point of view. The normal Ghanaian point of view. And that's what Peter is expressing. And in that way, he expresses two predominant sentiments. The first one is exhaustion. I'm tired. I'm tired. We've toiled all night. You can hear the words of exhaustion. You can hear. We've told all night. As I said last week. Many times when we read the bible. We read only the words. But we don't see the actions. So I can imagine Peter saying. Sir. We've taught the whole night. The way a Ghanaian would do the whole night. I've toiled. I've worked hard. They told me hard work pays. I've worked hard. It's not paying. They told me if I believe it will happen, I have believed nothing is happening. We've told, I'm tired. And many times in life when we want to do something great, we get tired, don't we? We get tired. Even pastors get tired. get tired because you have to teach the same thing over and over and over. You tell people, come to service on time. Come to service on time. Come to service on time. You get tired. I've toiled 39 years they still come to church late. (laughs) But he still say, launch out into the deep. So we're still going to trust God that it will be done one day, one day. In this hour, Ghana, people will attend church on time. (laughs) So that's what Peter is saying. Lord, Master, it's exhausting. I've tried to raise these children. I've advised them, advised them, but they're still giving me trouble. I've tried to work on this marriage. I've toiled all night. The man hasn't changed. The woman is not changing. The children are not changing. The money is not responding. Exhaustion. And then the exhaustion moves to frustration. Not only am I tired, but he says we caught nothing. Can you, can you feel what he's feeling? I've worked so hard the whole night and ended up with zero. Can I can feel Peter like each one of us? Now you can easily dismiss him as talking unbelief, except that before he started speaking, he said, Master. So he's not disrespecting Jesus, he's stating the facts as he feels it. That's the fisherman point of view. That's the Local point of view. If you talk to the average Ghanaian, many of you after church, if I start talking to you, you will complain about Ghana. No matter how much faith you hear in the service, right after that, three people will gather and complain. Because where two or three Ghanaians are gathered, there's going to be complaint. <laughs> Have you heard? Have you heard? This has happened. It's hard. On. Hey, this, they are killing us. Or this, And no matter how much faith you hear, something petering is in each one of us, which complains of exhaustion, frustration, of effort made, and no result. So, from frustration, Peter moves on. And when when you look at his his complaint and saying we've caught uh we've told all night, we've caught nothing, you get the impression that the failure he's talking about isn't just about last night's failure. You get you get the impression that last night is just part of a system that has been happening. This is not the first night he went and caught nothing. Because if you've been having Fish every night, and only last night you caught nothing. You won't be frustrated. You just say, oh, yeah, it was a bad night, but tomorrow we'll bounce back. But you get the impression that this has been going on for a long time. This going all night and catching nothing is a pattern. But he doesn't stop there. As he's speaking, he says, we've told all night, we caught nothing. And then he introduces a very interesting word, nevertheless. Everybody say, Nevertheless. Say, say, say after me. Say nevertheless. Or say boldly. Say nevertheless. Nevertheless means a pause and a turnaround. Normally in English grammar, nevertheless is a conjunction. It's a conjunction and different kinds of conjunctions. Therefore, and, but. They are all conjunctions. But nevertheless is like however. When you introduce however or nevertheless, it means that you are about to negate everything you said in the previous statement. You know, it's like somebody, you go to somebody and say, oh, please, uh, can you loan me uh, money? He says, oh, you know, you are my best friend. And, and you know, uh, I've always been desired to help you and, and all of that. And I know how needy your situation is. But, you know, that everything he said about you being his best friend, It's, it's just, it's just gone. Nevertheless, but however, once the sentence says however, then you know it's it's not good today. Today, today is not good. But this nevertheless is a good nevertheless. Because the previous statement is not a positive one. If the previous one was a positive one, then the nevertheless will be negative. But the previous statement is a negative. So nevertheless cannot be negative. Nevertheless can only be positive. So Peter is talking about Ghana's problems, Jerusalem's problems, Judea's problems, Lake Galilee problems. But he says, nevertheless, one of these days, whilst you're talking about all the problems you have, why don't you just say, nevertheless? Nevertheless? Nevertheless, nevertheless, however, however, but. In other words, I'm about to introduce a new thought, and that new thought will change what I just said. Nevertheless, it's hard in Ghana, but nevertheless, nevertheless. And I've always wondered, how did Peter... What, what was going through his mind for him to say, nevertheless? What, what did he remember? Because something might have struck him whilst he's complaining for him to change his narrative. And although the Bible doesn't tell us that, I have a sense that probably Peter remembered something. He remembered something that made him snap out of the negative thought. Because failure is all right if it is just failure. But failure is not just failure, it also gives you a mental condition. When you failed before, you fear to try. When you fail before, you expect failure. It creates a mental blockage. So for Peter, he's in this failure spot. But he said, nevertheless, why did he change it? And I'm just going to give you my thinking. Because the Bible doesn't tell us why he said nevertheless. But I'm giving you my thinking. And my thinking is well advised scripturally. Because as I said... At this point, Peter is not an apostle of Jesus Christ. But Peter has, had been following Jesus for a while. This is not the first time they are meeting. Peter started following Jesus from the day John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Because Peter and his brother Andrew were disciples of John the Baptist. They they were following John the Baptist, and one day John said to them, I'm not the Messiah. Then John points to this guy and said, this is the Messiah. This is the one I've been talking about. So Peter and his brother started following Jesus, but they are not full disciples of Jesus. They just follow him. So they followed him for a while. They've seen him work some miracles. They've seen him do stuff. So he's not a stranger to them. And that's why he gave him the boat. You don't give your boat to strangers. He knew him already. He had some form of a relationship. And as a matter of fact, if you go to chapter 4 of Luke, remember we are in chapter 5. So the previous chapter, chapter 4, verse 38 and 39. Talking about Jesus. Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. So before he entered his boat, he had already entered his house. But Simon's wife's mother was sick with a high fever, and they made request of of him concerning her. He stood over her, rebuked the fever, it left her, and immediately she arose and served them. So Jesus went to Peter's home, and Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever, And they said, Lord, can you do something about this? And he redeemed the fever. Fever left her. And this woman who used to have a fever got up, cooked the food, and served them. So Peter has had an encounter with Jesus before. His nevertheless is not an empty nevertheless. His nevertheless is based on an experience he has had with Jesus. He didn't just conjure and he's just not just making positive statements by himself. So, what made him snap out from his negative mindset, I believe, is because because of his previous encounter with Jesus Christ. As he's talking all the negative, he remembered, this is the guy who cast out some demons. This is the guy who's been working miracles. This is the guy who came to my home And cured my mother-in-law. If he says I should launch out into the deep, then I think this guy can do something about it. Nevertheless. For you to arrive at nevertheless, you have to remember what Christ has done for you in the past. You have to remember. You have to remember what he did. Is there a time that he did something for you? Maybe he didn't even do something for you. But you heard a testimony. And somebody said, God did that for me. And God did this for me. And I believe God and that happened. That can be the basis of your nevertheless. Because you remember what the Lord has done. When you remember what God has done. You can change your narrative. And not only that. If you remember what he has done, you can trust what he says about your situation. If Jesus could do all of that, then I can trust that he can give me a catch at the wrong time of the day. Because he did it in another situation. The question I want to ask you is... Do you have a testimony of something God did for you? Has he done anything at all for you? Is there a moment in your life you know, but for God, I would never have pulled through. But for God, this situation would not have changed. But for God, I would never be walking here alive. If you have such a testimony, then in spite of the situation you are faced with, you can say, nevertheless. Nevertheless, nevertheless, because I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able. So when he said, nevertheless, he moved from a fisherman to a man of faith. Now Peter is about to speak with confidence, and let's hear his words of confidence. He says, nevertheless, at your word, that is faith speaking, at your word, he moved from building his life around his failed experiences to building on the word of God. At your word. What does it mean when we say at your word? It means that we are taking hold of of the word of God. We are grasping the word of God at your word, at your word. Faith begins when we believe God's promises are reliable at your word. In real life, Jesus and Peter were probably close to the same age. Peter will be slightly older than Jesus. Jesus is about 30 years at this time. Peter probably is in his 20s. He's got a wife. And he's got a mother-in-law. So I'm supposing that he he's somewhere in his mid-20s. 25, 26, 27. He's a fisherman. Has been much of his life. Jesus is a carpenter. Has been much of his life. But when he entered. Jesus entered Peter's boat. Jesus Became the master of Peter's life. And although, as a carpenter, Jesus has no right to instruct a fisherman, as a miracle worker, he has every power to instruct a fisherman. And it is on that basis that Peter called him master. At your word. Somebody say, At your word. Until you can grasp God's word, not Not your pastor's word. I can preach nicely. Believing me wouldn't do much for you. But you have to go beyond me to the word of God. And lay hold of it yourself. And hold it to your chest. And say this is God's word to me. I believe it. Not because pastor preached about it. And not even because it is written in the Bible. But I believe this word in the Bible... God speaking directly to me. You have to personalize the Word of God. Peter took hold of your word, and then he says, "At your word, I will. I will. I will." Is resolve. He brought his will into the picture. I will. Very interesting grammatical play here. When Jesus said, launch out into the deep, he used a singular verb. That means he was addressing one person. When he said, let down your nets, he used plural. It means he was talking to all the people to let down their nets. And so we presume, although the conversation is directly between Jesus and Peter, We presume that he has other people in the boat. Most likely Andrew is in the boat and maybe one or two other apprentices are in the boat with him. So, launch out into the deep. One person. Let down your nets. All of you must do it. But Peter's response is personal. I will. In other words, God is speaking to each one of us, but I choose to believe it. I choose to act on it. Unless you personalize your commitment to God, it will benefit you nothing. Because at this point, I am speaking to the whole church. But someone here must say, I will let down my net. I will launch out. I will believe God. I will break through. I will not give up. It moves from a group instruction to a personal responsibility. I will let down the net. I will do it. Because many of us come to church and we hear the word of God and we hear it as a group thing. But your life is no group. Your pain is no group. Your frustration is no group. Your difficulty is not group. Your failure is not group failure. You have your burdens to carry. And at a certain point, you have to say, the word came to all of us, but I will. I will let down the net. I will act. I will take personal responsibility. And that is what Peter did. He changed his narrative and he took personal responsibility. We have to choose to do the right thing by God. Thank you for listening to Living Word. To interact with Pastor Mensah Oteville, like his page on Facebook, Follow him on Twitter at Mensa Otterville, email autoville at centralgospel.com or call plus 233-302-688-000.